0: Like I said, we are going to be uh, starting a new series in uh, the book of Revelation uh, today. We are not going to be covering the entire book of Revelation, but it is going to be a series that's going to be covering um, the seven letters that are written to the churches in the book of Revelation. Um, up on the screen, you'll see a little bit of an of a outline of the first five chapters of, of the book of Revelation. And you'll see that chapter one starts with uh, this apocalyptic prophetic epistle introduction. And we'll make sense of that uh, today. And then uh, you'll see the next portion of uh, chapter one opens up with this vision of Jesus. It gives this grand uh, picture of Jesus, but specifically Jesus pr- present amongst the churches. And then chapter two through three there are seven different churches that are addressed. And actually, when you see where John is situated, he's on an island called Patmos. And if you were to go through modern-day Turkey, you'll hear him write to the churches of Asia. Um, If you move counterclockwise, it's just a geographical uh, movement that's happening here. So you start with Ephesus, and then again you move counterclockwise, and you'll cover those different uh, seven churches that he talks to. And then after he gives a word to those seven churches, after Jesus gives a word to the seven churches, you'll see in chapter 4 and 5, there is the central and centering vision of Jesus, of the Lamb um, in the heavenly throne room. Revelation, um, after people have read Revelation or have approached Revelation, um, have uh, have left that book scratching their heads. Um, there have been wild approaches and interpretations of the Book of Revelation. Um, it is it is a book that um, has certainly has caused lots of controversies and and points of tension. Let me rephrase that: the the book itself isn't the thing that caused the tension. <laughs> it's it's the way that we've approached the book that has created that this tension and. Um, and even points, the ways that we've approached it have created points of division within the body of Christ, that we've we've used it almost as a litmus test of how do you read the book of Revelation, and then we decide whether or not we can be in the same camp with one another. And so certainly as we approach this book, there's a little bit of fear and trepidation in my own heart that what I'm not looking to do um, is misrepresent, the book of Rep- revelation i don't think that you know the vast majority of people w- approach this book looking to misrepresent what's happening within its pages but um you know the the prayer constantly becomes how do we how do we approach this book in a way that is going to be faithful to the context in which it's found uh, this book is 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 a gem uh in the crown of, of scripture uh, it is, is an absolutely beautiful book that um, I love the way that Scott McKnight in his, uh, in his book on the book of Revelation said it. He said this, he said, Revelation is a book that in all centuries has inspired the martyrs, has nourished the imagination of visionaries, artists, and hymn writers, resourced prophetic critiques of oppression and corruption in state and church sustained hope and resistance in the most hopeless situations uh that this book is written and and i believe that as if we were to approach it faithfully that what it'll do is inspire us to places of hope and perseverance that it'll move us to a place in which we might be able to see our lord jesus in an incredible light Um, why this book why this book well honestly for for I guess, one simple reason. Um, Our hope here as we gather together on Sunday mornings is to study the Word of God, is that we would dive deep into the pages of Scripture. And as we've thought and prayed about where do we go next, and as we think about um, the next series that we might go through, um, you know, part of the conversation between Larissa and myself and the pastoral team is this place of just recognizing, I don't know the last time that we went through one of the books of prophecy in the pages of Scripture. So i we kind of just thought, let's give that a shot. <laughs> Let, let's dive in into those places. And there's also um, what, what it's called apocalyptic literature. And I don't know if we've ever, uh, Larissa and myself, covered apocalyptic literature in the pages of the Bible. And so it's just like, let's, let's study this together. And we really believe, again, that, that it will move us uh, to places of hope. Um, one thing that, that I've done is if you go to our website, faithsandiego.org, and you click on the, or hover over the resources tab and you scroll down, you'll see about three spaces down, you'll see uh, resources for reading the book of Revelation. Um, I've listed two books there. Uh, there are two of the books that I've been studying over the past uh, few months, and um, just really appreciate the way that they're approaching um, the book of Revelation. One is called the Reversed Thunder, and it is by a personal hero of mine, Eugene Peterson. And um, he writes it from a pastoral bent. He writes it in a place that is, that is reflecting on the poetry of Revelation. So it's not this deep, nuanced kind of a read, but it is a reflective space for, for you to be able to sit in. And then the other is a little bit more nerdy, and it's called Reading Revelation Responsibly. And it's written by Michael Gorman, and he's going to just give you a really good overview of the, over the book of Revelation, what's happening um, in, in this book. And you'll also see in those, those resources, uh, you'll see what's called a playbill of the characters of Revelation. That's from Scott McKnight. And what he does is that i scanned it in from my phone and uh, so it's not the greatest of quality but you'll see you can follow that pdf and you'll see the way that he describes all of the different beasts and and women and like just you just if you come across the, all these different images that are in the book of revelation he kind of he creates what he calls a playbill if you've ever been to a theater uh, production that you know you'll give you'll be given a playbill and especially if you've ever been in something like a ballet and you're just trying to figure out what in the world is being presented on stage right now you open up that playbill and you realize oh that that person in purple is supposed to be this character and this is what i'm supposed to think about when i interact with them so scott mcknight's created a playbill where you can look you can hold on to that and and reflect on that as you approach uh the book of revelation um and you'll see a handful of more resources Uh, that are on there so you can explore uh, to your heart's content let's read revelation chapter one the revelation of jesus christ which god gave to him which god gave him to show his servants i'm reading from the new nrsv translation by the way if you've got your phone and want to follow along the revelation of jesus christ which god gave him to show his servants what must soon take place he made it known by sending his angel to a servant, John, who testified to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of the prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from, who, from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and freed us from our sins by his blood and made us to be a kingdom, priests serving uh, his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Look, He's coming with the clouds, every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and on account, all the tribes of the earth will wail, So it is to be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God. Who was, who is, and who was, and who is to come, the Almighty. I, John, your brother who share with you in Jesus the persecution and the kingdom and the patient endurance, was on the island called Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, Write in a book what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamum, to Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. Then I turned to see whose voice it was that, was, that spoke to me. And turning, I saw seven golden lampstands in the midst of the lampstands, I saw one like the Son of Man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash across his chest. His head and his hair were white as wool, white as snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like a burnished bronze, refined as in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his His face was like the sun, shining with full force. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he placed his right hand on me, saying, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last and the living one. I was dead, and see, I am alive forever and ever. I have the keys of death and of Hades. Now write what you have seen. What is... And what is to take place after this, after the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand, as for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven gold lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Jesus, would you give us revelation? (laughs) Would you give us wisdom as we navigate the pages of this beautiful letter written to us? And so we pray that in Jesus' name coming up on the screen you'll see um, what what happens here in the opening verses of of the book of revelation in chapter one you'll see that john starts off by saying the revelation of jesus christ you go forward two verses and you'll see john say blessed are the one who reads aloud the words of the prophecy and then one uh, verse later you'll see john say john to the seven churches that are in asia when you, when you approach the pages of Scripture, you'll, you'll notice that it is organized by, by genre. Uh, you'll notice that the, there's the opening pages that we've come to call the Pentateuch or the law. Uh, there's the history of Israel. There's the poetry and the wisdom. There's the books of prophecy like Isaiah and Ezekiel and Jonah. Uh, you have the gospel accounts that tell the story of Jesus' uh, birth to his ascension. You have church history like the book of Acts. Then you have the epistles. Um, that are written from from pastors and apostles, written to local churches, books like the Book of Romans and Corinthians and Ephesians and Galatians. Um, And then you have Revelation, which is, again, uh, a book that is uh, actually blending three genres together. John starts off in verse 1 by telling us that opening word there revelation is the, the in greek it would be apocalypsis. he starts off by by telling you the very first word that he writes down is apocalypse this is the genre that you're interacting with here is apocalyptic literature we'll get more into that in a bit Then, two verses later, does he change his mind or what? But he he then says, listen, uh, blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of the prophecy. And so what he's telling us here now is that this book that you're going to be interacting with is a prophetic book. This is a book of prophecy. Kind of think of Isaiah and Ezekiel again and, and Jonah. And then the very next verse is he changes genres on us again, right? He says, if you're reading from like the New Living Translation, you'll even, you'll even see it interpreted as the letter from John or the epistle from John. And so now as you, in order, vital to understanding this book, you have to understand that it is these three chords beautifully woven together that this book, and you'll see it on the next slide, is what we're going to call, and plenty of people have called it, an apocalyptic prophetic epistle. That's what we're interacting with. And if you're going to, order, if you're going to understand this book, you have to have those three things in mind. You, you have to because if you don't, you're going to read through it, and either be left scratching your head or leading some kind of cult that is predicting that next year Jesus is coming back. Right? Like, you, you've got to read the book from these three vantage points. So let's start with the first one. We'll, I mean, the last one, and then we'll work our way backwards. Let's talk about that word epistle. This word epistle, right, it means a letter. And what we find here is that this book as John writes in, in verse 4 is uh, from John to the seven churches. This is a letter from a pastor's heart to the churches that he feels honored and to, to, to shepherd. It is written to a church that, that he absolutely loves and adores. Common understanding is that this John is the one who writes the book of John Um, That's kind of the vantage point that I'll take, but there's plenty of other um, things that you can nerd out on to find out, is it a different John who writes these or not? But I I believe that it is uh, John, the son of Zebedee, the disciple of Jesus, um, and that John has been a pastor, and he's an old man as he writes these letters. He's exiled on an island called Patmos because he has pledged allegiance to Jesus and not to Caesar. And so he writes from this place out of deep care for his church. See, when you interact with the book of Revelation, you've got to interact, it, interact with it in a way that understands this isn't some impersonal cryptic message that we've got to be like, you know, in, in the movie National Treasure in order to try to figure out what's happening. But we've got to understand that this book is written from a pastor to his church because he wants them to be encouraged. Because he loves them. Because he wants, he desires for them to endure. The the book of Revelation is written to real people in real life circumstances. And it is written to encourage them, to challenge them, and to instill renewed hope and life within them but you also see not only is it a hybrid of of genres coming together but the who it's from is also a hybrid it is it is from john but it's also from jesus you'll hear specifically over the these these letters that are written in chapter two and three to the churches it's from jesus jesus is saying say these things from me to the church so while this letter is from John, it is also very explicitly stated that these are the words from Jesus. And when you look at it, specifically in verse 1, chapter 13, you'll see it say, in the midst of the seven lampstands, I saw one like the Son of Man. And then the opening of chapter 2, it, these are the words of Jesus. To the angel in the church of Ephesus write, these are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks amongst the seven golden lampstands. And what we're introduced here at the opening pages of this book is that Jesus is intimately aware of his church. And why is it he intimately aware of his church? Because he holds his church in his right hand. He's standing. Where is Jesus to be found? If you want to discover where Jesus is at, it's with his church. If you're looking around the world to try to discern and discover where God is at work in the world, it's going to be in the church. And one person that observed this letter stopped and caused us to to reflect on, do you see where the church resides? It's in Jesus's right hand. And why in the right hand? Because when you have something in your right hand, mostly speaking, no shame to our left-handed people in here, it's it's what you're gonna be putting to use. It is where, it is where you're gonna be working from. And so if you're gonna identify where the work of God is happening in this world, it is him with his church. And Jesus is writing to his church here because he knows them personally and he knows what they're going through. And he's gonna to write to them in their places of hurt. He's gonna to write to them in their places of persecution. He's going to write to them in their places of complacency. He's going to write to them in their places of of boredom and, and lethargy. He's going to write to them in their places of good works, right? And because he knows exactly what they're up to. And it is meant to be an encouragement to all of us. God sees you. And he knows your name personally. You are the location of God's vocation. You're the place that God is at work at in the world. I know you. But you also see, again, reflecting on this, the fact that it's, it's this hybrid again. of It's from John and it's from Jesus. And I think a way to capture that is to say that Jesus is working through John's heart and imagination. And this is how God works in the world. That he seeks to not just do something by himself, but he seeks to partner with people, and he seeks to to, to partner with, with your personality and with your heartbeat and with your talents. And he seeks and he works to, seeks to work through your mind and your giftings, and that's precisely what he's doing here in this letter. He's working through John's imagination. And John's imagination, as you will see if you spend time in the book of Revelation, is an imagination, is a mind that is alive and is absolutely influenced by Scripture. Depending on who you read, depending on the commentaries that you come across, what you'll find is that there are either 200 or 1,000 references to the Old Testament. In the book of revelation but the bare minimum is 200. one person uh said it said it this way if i can come across it 278 of the 404 verses in revelation contain one or more old testament allusions but john doesn't really quote from revelation he doesn't really write as isaiah said Right? And a lot of times when you read through the New Testament, you'll see those type of direct correlations that are taking place. What, what John does is, like, he's given this vision by Jesus. And because John's mind is so drenched in Scripture, what he does in order to convey what he's, what, what he's seen, he starts drawing from all the places that he's grown up with. It's what he's doing, he's just like, ah, let me... How can I describe what I've seen? Have you ever tried to describe a wild dream to someone? And what you use is words like, it was like. It was like this. It was like this. And that's exactly what John is doing. He's given this grand vision from Jesus, and all he can do is just like, it was like this. And he uses an allusion from the Old Testament to try to convey to the church what he's seeing. And so that's what's taking place here. I love the way that Eugene Peterson says it. The Revelation does some of its best work when it sends its readers back to Genesis and to Exodus, to Isaiah and Ezekiel, to Daniel and the Psalms, to the Gospels and Paul. St. John did not make up his visions of dragons, beasts, harlots, plagues, and horsemen out of his own imagination. The Spirit gave gave him images out of the scriptures that he knew so well. Then when he saw their significance, then he saw their significance in a fresh way. Every line of revelation is mined out of the rich strata of scripture laid down in earlier ages. You're meant to understand, like like dive deep into all of the pages of scripture. Then read the book of Revelation and start having your mind come alive to all the places that, that, that John is connecting you to. But not only is is it written from his mind, his imagination, but it's written from his heart. You'll see him say this in verse 9, I, John, your brother, who share with you in Jesus the persecution and the kingdom and the patient endurance. And I was on the island called Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. John is experiencing what the church is experiencing when he writes this letter to the church he's he's telling them listen i'm i'm with you i am your brother and your companion in your suffering because he's experiencing he's on the island of patmos he's there as an exile he's 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 thrown into prison into a place of isolation because he has preached jesus And just like the churches have experienced waves of persecution, John is telling them, listen, I'm sharing with you in this. And I'm sharing you. I'm a brother and a companion with you in the kingdom. I'm I'm, I'm family with you and desiring to see God's kingdom come here. He's also saying, I'm brother and I'm companion with you as you're trying to be faithful and endure. What John is writing to the church is, listen, I don't have it all figured out, but, but I'm learning like you're learning. I'm I'm trying to endure like you're trying to endure. There have been times that I've gone to the to the hospital to to a doctor's appointment or to urgent care, and there are times that I've interacted with nurses and physicians that seemed really indifferent to my pain. <laughs> there are times that I've sat right like in a, in an ur- emergency room kind of setting, and it just feels like they're just trying to get me out of the way so that they can move on to the next person. And I get it when you're working something crazy like 18 to 24-hour days, but there are, there are these incredible physicians and nurses that I've interacted with that, uh, that have been so personal with me. And I, I've, I've interacted with, with, with physicians who've, who've strained their calf muscle or ripped their calf muscle like I've ripped my calf muscle or have had plantar fasciitis like I've had plantar fasciitis, right? And, and there's this level of connection that takes place when you interact with a physician who has walked through what you've walked through. And when John writes to the church, it's from a brother who is walking through what they've walked through. I'm with you in this. I'm with you in this. And John is giving the church a prophetic word to endure, persevere, keep on going. And that moves us to our next point of understanding. In verse one, I mean, in chapter one, verse three, John says, blessed are the one who reads aloud the words of prophecy and blessed are those who hear it and who keep what is written in it sometimes we think that when we when we imagine what that word prophecy is a lot of times we think it's about it's about predicting the future right a lot of times we we, here's this prophetic word and this is what god is going to do way in the future but actually when you understand what what prophecy is in the pages of scripture you'll find that what it is it is it is god giving the church understanding of what he's up to here and now and how he wants them to act on it here and now. Do you see the way that John writes it? He says, blessed are the one who reads aloud is the word of the prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and who keep what is written in it. Prophecy is meant to be acted on now. Prophecy is something that is meant to in, be instilled and invigorate our lives here and now. But the role of the prophet was also not was to call out and to call up the role of the prophet was very often in a space where they were they came to the church and told them here are the things that you've got going on in your life or here are the things that we've got going on in our culture that needs to be addressed church how do you deal with criticism i mean more like like how do you handle it within your heart what does it do within you when you're criticized? Because I can tell you, for me, I hate it. <laughs> I hate criticism. And, and, and I think about it this way. Have you ever driven on the freeway, and as you're driving on the freeway, uh, suddenly there's a car that pulls up next to you, and they're honking their horn, and they give you the bird? And you have no idea why? Like, you legit, like, have no idea what you did to tick this person off. And in that moment, I don't know about you, This is here's what happens in my heart, is, oh, my gosh, what did I do wrong? What did I do that this person is now offended with me? And when they drive off, everything within me wants to follow them, find a red light, roll down my window, and say hey, are we cool? Like, are we good? How how can I explain my side of the story? I want to explain what happened. Like, just tell me what I did wrong, and I can give you reason why that took place. I, I don't do well with criticism, but church, listen, six out of the seven weeks ahead of us, you're going to hear Jesus say this to the church, I have this against you. And it's going to unsettle us. What what we often want, I heard one person describe it this way, is what we want is therapeutic deism. We want a God who's going to come alongside of us, put his arm around the shoulder and just say, everything's okay, nothing has to change. Just enjoy me personally, and that's it. but we're going to get to see a side of Jesus that might make us uncomfortable. But but if this is the John who writes the the gospel of John, this is the guy that leaned on Jesus' chest and had dinner with him. And so this, this picture of Jesus that says, I have this against you, I think be good for us to sit with but it'll be good for us to know that everything that jesus said is because he wants to instill life in us larissa's has uh, been away this weekend um, we just had a niece that was born her youngest sister had had a baby and she's out um in the chicago area and then a few weeks ago she was at a, a pastor's conference uh for women lead pastors in our denomination and Her being away has meant a couple things. One, that I've eaten junk food. And I've watched a lot of action movies. But I came across this from bank robber Dalton Russell from the movie Inside Man. The further you run from your sins, the more exhausted you are when they catch up to you. I kid you not, I paused the movie and wrote it down. <laughs> We're talking about call it good, right? These random moments where you come across just a moment of insight and wisdom. They're just like, oh my goodness, I was not expecting that. But that's what's happening in these letters to the seven churches. I have this offense. I have this. I have this against you. I noticed this about you and I don't want you to be exhausted anymore. I don't want you to be beat up. I don't want you to be run ragged. Like, I don't. I don't want these points of tension and hostility in your life. I don't. I don't. I don't want these broken relationships. I don't want you to be in these places where you're in places of complacency. Like I don't. I don't want that about you. I don't want you to just join everything that's happening in Rome, it, it, right? Like, like, it's this place of saying, I, I. I want you to have life. I want you to have it to the full. And that's why he gives these criticisms to us. And baked into those criticisms are a warning. Don't join Babylon. Don't join Babylon. One, I would, referen- I would take you to that um, reference sheet by Scott McKnight when he looks at uh, the different characters in, Babel- uh, in the book of Revelation. You can read all about Babylon, or a little snippet of Babylon there. But um, here's the way that Michael Gorman reflects on it when he thinks about why John uses this word Babylon, this empire Babylon all throughout his letter. He says, nearly all interpreters of Revelation recognize that the entire book is a critique and parody of the Roman empire and the cult of the emperor that was rampant in the Roman province of Asia in the second half of the first century. Although the word Rome does not appear in the document rome is portrayed symbolically as babylon the great enemy city of god's people revelation parodies and criticizes both the oppressive nature of imperial power and the blasphemous claims made about it and i'm going to say something that might offend some people in this space when we read through the book of revelation we're meant to conclude i live in babylon We're meant to conclude America is Babylon. (laughs) And and that isn't isn't to bash America, and that doesn't immediately mean we hate our country. Right? Because what you see portrayed throughout the pages of Scripture is that we are to pray for for the blessing and the flourishing of, of the land that God has called us to live in but what, what John is doing in this letter is he's saying be wary of the way that the ways of the world around you are trying to are going to try to compel you to live according to their ways and not to the way of the lamb that's what's constantly be portrayed over the pages of this script uh, over the pages of this book don't join the ways of empire join the ways of the one that really is king of kings. That's what's being conveyed in this book. And we cannot faithfully read through the book of Revelation if we don't recognize that that is one of the very key and central themes that's being communicated here in this book. The perspective of the the day was that Rome was uniquely chosen and favored by the gods to rule. And Rome's financial, political, and military strength was proof of divine favor. And so here you have a prophetic calling to the church to discover and discern the ways of Babylon and the ways of God. And the call is endure. Keep on going. Live faithfully to Jesus. And so every prophetic book that you come across also has encouragement in it. And each letter written to the seven churches, you will notice that each letter ends by a promise of life. The church is given motivation. And here are some of the ways that you'll hear each letter conclude. If you endure, if you're one of the ones that are found to conquer, you'll eat from the tree of life. You won't be harmed by the second death. You'll be a pillar in the temple of God. You'll have a place on God's throne. Church, endure. Do not grow weary in doing good, for in due time you will receive a reward, and that reward is Jesus. Persevere. Persevere, and he is better to rotate around and orbit around than anything else that this world might have to offer. And then the last one, maybe, is often the most confusing um, for me and and for for everyone over kind of just millennia, um, is apocalypse. Is apocalypse? If if you were to maybe even look up the definition of apocalypse, you might see that it's. Uh, definitions are often that it's about the end of the world. Um, I, I like post-apocalyptic literature, and I like post-apocalyptic movies. I like this idea of when the end of the world happens, and then how is humanity going to live? Right, Apocalypse, in our mind, has come to mean that when the world ends... And because that's often what our imagination is, when we read the book of Revelation, we think that the primary thing that's being commuted to the book of Revelation is this is what the end of the world is going to look like. But that is not what the primary message is In the book of Revelation, yes, there is this promise that Jesus will one day perfectly merge heaven and earth, and he, uh, the new Jerusalem will come down, and he will live with us, and there will be no need for a son, because God himself is the son that fills that city, right? There is that kind of promise that's in there, but, but that's not what this word apocalypse really, really means. It means unveiling. Listen to the way that, that the Apostle John interacts with this word apocalypse. In Galatians chapter 1, he says, Then it pleased him, God, to reveal or apocalypto his son to me so that I would proclaim the good news about Jesus to the Gentiles. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17, this is the prayer that he has for the church. I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and apocalypse as you come to know him what paul is regular what paul has experienced is apocalypse and what paul prays for the church is that we would be apocalypsed And apocalypse is something that happens to people It's something where suddenly everything in their world is changed because they've given insight into what really is happening in the world and not what they have initially perceived with their eyes. And so that's why we've used words like revelation, that something has been revealed to us. Something has already always existed and has been working behind the scenes, but we didn't have insight into it. And so what happens is John, John says, the curtain has, right, it's like he's writing to us, the curtain has been pulled back, an unveiling has taken place, and now church, do you really see who is in power in this world? It's Jesus. And, and it's not just meant to be something where it's like, oh, like I see everything differently now, but it's this place in which like this, this unveiling has happened and my life has been forever changed because of it. I have been apocalypsed. <laughs> Jesus has happened to me. Jesus has been revealed to me. And now like that is, that is the orientation and the direction of my life because Jesus has been revealed to me. And so John writes here in Revelation chapter one, he says, I was in the spirit. And what he's saying there by saying I was in the spirit, he's saying like I was now able to see that it wasn't just my world that's at work, what's happening here on earth, but I was in the spirit, meaning I was, I was seeing heaven and earth interacting together. And then later on, he'll say when, when he's in that spirit, when he's when he's getting a picture of heaven and earth moving together he says i i turned right and i saw one like the son of man clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash across his chest and his very first description of jesus is jesus in priestly garments i saw jesus dressed like a priest and what was the role of the priest in the old testament what space did they occupy The temple what was the temple it was the dwelling place of god this is where god resides this is where heaven and earth are overlapping together and so what john is conveying to us he says listen what i saw here in this moment is i was given insight to the war that's raging in the world around us today I was given insight that there's there's a beast at work in the world, and it's Babylon. There's a dragon at work in the world influencing this beast, and it's Satan. And, And there's a lamb who alone is worthy. And he, I saw, is more powerful than this dragon and this beast. What was revealed to me Is that Jesus is far greater than Babylon at work in the world? That's what I saw. And if you can understand it from that perspective, when you start reading through the book of the pages of the book of Revelation, you'll start seeing that what Paul is doing, he's giving us that that insight, a better filter, a better lens by which we're meant to see the happenings of the world around us. Church, you may be persecuted. Church, you may be discouraged. Church, you you may be frustrated. You may may be dealing with all kinds of crazy scenarios and circumstances in the world around you. You might be in a place where you're compelled to compromise in your convictions and your values. You might be dealing with temptation. You might have given in to temptation. You might have whatever it is, right, that's happening in your very real life today. Have you experienced death? Have you experienced disease? Have you experienced disappointment? There's a beast that's at work in the world. There's a dragon that's influencing the ways of the world. But what I saw, I saw one who is mighty. I saw the yes and amen. I saw the alpha and the omega. I saw that God is really the one who is at work in this world jesus is the revelation and so this whole letter is meant to be a place where we would say come let us adore him come come keep your eyes on him come and 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 constantly get a revelation of jesus come and constantly get a picture of him here's some of the things that i don't have time for but i'll just really fast wedge in here for us there's this chart that'll come up on the screen and when you see when jesus is described you'll see that in the next chart over that the way that jesus is described is all of these allusions to the old testament and it's this picture this grand picture of jesus and you'll get insight into the fact that this is the god who was and who is and who is to come this is the god who is at work in the world around us that chart is on the resources page Um, But you also, what I also want you to hear is this. I'm going to quote from, I'm going to read from Eugene Peterson again. He says this, he says, Maryland forests, that's where he lived at the time, Maryland forests and St. John's apocalypse show me over and over again that when I'm bored, it's no fault of creation or covenant. Familiarity dulls my perceptions. Hurry scatters my attention. Ambition fogs my intelligence. Selfishness restricts my range. Anxiety robs me of appetite. Envy distracts me from what is good and blessed right before me. And then Monday's unhurried pace and St. John's apocalyptic vision. Bring me to my senses, body and soul. Revelation is written so that the church would wake up. I don't mean that in like this aggressive kind of way. That's like, wake up, church, how dare you? But this this letter is from our beloved pastor communicating to us, be alive to Jesus. Wake up up and 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 be enthralled with him be overwhelmed by him because when john sees jesus what he tells us is i fell down like one dead jesus 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 is the one that we're meant to have our eyes zeroed in on and when we have our eyes constantly zeroed in on jesus it gives us perspective for how we're meant to live and endure and love today. Church, would you stand? Let me pray this over us. (laughs) As I wrote this um, sermon over this past kind of two weeks, uh, it was twice as long. (laughs) (laughs) There is so much I want to say about this book. There's so many insights and connections and just ways that you can absolutely nerd out on what's happening in this book. I am falling in love uh, with the pages of, of this apocalyptic prophetic epistle. But more and more so, I'm falling in love with Jesus. I really mean that. As I'm sitting and meditating on these words, I am more and more being compelled in the mundane moments of my day to stop and to pay attention to Jesus. The, the page is written to us by, by Pastor John. And I, I would encourage you to sit down with them and reflect on them, meditate on them. And here's the prayer. I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation as you come to know him, so that with the eyes of your heart enlightened, you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious, glorious inheritance among the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power for us who believe according to the working of his great power. Church, I love you, honor to sit here with you today and, and try to tackle um, this, this dense and beautiful book uh, together. May you be blessed. Um, I'll be up front available to you if you'd like someone just to chat with, to pray with, maybe even if you're a guest here with us this morning to ask questions about our community um, or if you just want to be, come up here and uh, nerd out on the book of Revelation together, I count me in on that. I would love to do it. So, church, be blessed. Love you to go downstairs in the courtyard, uh, find some beverages and some bagels uh, this morning for us, and make sure that you also get a hold of those kiddos and have them hang out with you down there as well. Love you, church. See you downstairs.